0: Hello, I'm Tim Bousquet, and this is Examiner Radio. Examiner Radio is the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. Coming up... That was one of those recommendations they would not agree to, and
1: yeah. they never did agree to it. never got done, and now the place is built, and there it is. So,
0: That's Michael Pickup, the Provincial Auditor General. His office recently put out a few reports on health care that noted a number of problems. Then, Premier Stephen McNeil accused Pickup of overstepping his authority. I thought it would be a good idea to talk to Pickup about his role and about that controversy, among other matters. First, though, let's get going with Examiner Radio, episode number 142. I'm joined by Tara Tayer, the producer of Examiner Radio. Hello.
2: Hi, it's good to see you.
0: We've it's been like a month or something. I
2: know, I know. That's what happens during the break, right? We go away, don't talk to each other. Yeah, hey, you have a good
0: uh holiday.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was good. I'm I'm, I'm happy to be back. I, I I feel when I have routine in my life that everything comes together. Everything starts to work.
0: Yeah, did you go anywhere?
2: Ah, did... uh, you know, here and there. Mostly, I sat on my couch, nursed a cough, and watched Netflix.
0: Yeah, you still have that cough. A little yeah, tail, tail in over Yeah, there. I
2: do. So, uh, note to Mark in the studio: ride that uh, that mic button. Okay. <laughs>
0: The, the seven second delay. <laughs> that's button, right, seven the, uh, second
2: delay. Yeah, that's yeah. for the curse Yeah, words, right? absolutely. And you know, this is uh, as you said, episode one four two, and it's the first of twenty eighteen. Yeah, I think it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, it makes yeah. me feel very old. I remember when I was a little <laughs> kid, and like the twenty first century was going to be like, you know, we were going to have jet packs and and uh, sky cars and all that stuff, and um, I was very disappointed when. The year 2000 came by, and we didn't have all that. But uh, I always mm-hmm. just thought it would I would be old.
2: Yeah. 2018, I, I, I was thinking, you know, what are those? Uh, the skateboard from Back to the Future? Yeah. What is that? Uh, hovercraft, whatever it is. Hoverboard. I thought those would be. When
0: I was growing up, you know. there's this TV show called The 21st Century. And it was Walter Conkright that uh, it came on on Saturday afternoons where, where I lived. Um, Man, they oversold this century. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it's still early, right? Here's, here's hoping. Here's hoping we're all part cyborgs. Anyway, let's do uh, this. In the next thing. few years, yep.
0: This show is produced by the Halifax Examiner. That means that the Halifax Examiner pays the bills for this show. And that means we wouldn't have this show, or the Examiner either, without your support. So please subscribe online at halifaxexaminer.ca. <laughs> Before we hear from Michael Pickup, let's get to the week in review. Tara, what do we have this week?
2: Uh, well, I want to back up a little bit and talk about the Paradise Papers, because yep. I know you have been looking into this uh, a lot. Um, this has been, you know, the Paradise Papers, of course, is, is uh, international in scope, but you were looking at it from the perspective of how many Nova Scotias and and which Nova Scotians are named in them, right?
0: Yeah, we should back up a little bit and mm-hmm. say what the Paradise Papers are. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, somebody out there in the world, or somebody's, we don't know who, uh, uh, did a doc- document dump at a law firm called Appleby and gave millions of documents related to offshore trusts, to the consortium of international journalists who have been doing all the work on first the Panama Papers and now the Paradise Papers. This is detailing people all around the world, rich people primarily in corporations who are using offshore trusts. Um, much of that is completely legal. and leg- I mean, all, uh, uh, Offshore trusts is generally are legal unless they're being used to hide income in the host country. Um, there, there are something like 135 different media organizations. The Halifax Examiner is not one of those. <laughs> uh, right. In Canada, the Toronto Star and the CBC were the mm-hmm. were the two partners. So they've been doing reporting uh, about federal politicians. I'm sure everybody's read that. Um, I was curious as who are the Nova Scotians. Uh, I don't have access to all the documentation that the consortium has. Uh, but they did publish a database so that people could go uh, into the database and, and search around. And that's basically what I did. And I, I went and found as many Nova Scotians uh, in that database as I could. Mostly that meant people with um, Nova Scotia addresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were one or two that I was able to find that were using other addresses outside of Nova Scotia. Um, undoubtedly there were many more than, uh, than the, I don't know, 20 I found. Um, and, uh, Applebee, like the Panama Papers before, is just a tiny, tiny slice of the overall offshore industry. So undoubtedly there are hundreds of more Nova Scotians with offshore accounts that do not come up in any of these documents, um. Mm that we know nothing about.
2: Right. So so just to, to be clear, so you were looking basic based on uh, address. Did you look up any key names? Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, I looked up the obvious names that you mm-hmm. would think of, uh, Risley, for example. Um, and the Risleys are not in this batch of documents. Uh, we know that they make use of Cayman island um businesses so they're probably in some other batch uh but there's no evidence in in the paradise papers of their involvement uh there was a sobe's uh paul sobe was uh mentioned in the in the papers but it was so it was such an offhand reference that i really couldn't do anything with it um so um most of the people, probably all the people I wrote about, uh, you have never heard about before. You, they're mm-hmm. not household names. Uh, there are they're people who own mining companies and that that do business in South America and Africa. Um, there are people just investors. Um, one guy named Rick Ralston, who's a, a profit smew business prof. Um, there are um a group of people associated with the sports direct company which is uh provides data for online betting firms and they've they made many tens of millions of dollars um and they made use of offshore uh companies i'm just scrolling through my list here um a bunch of people oh the canadian blood services which was An interesting one to me, this is an example of somebody doing absolutely nothing wrong. Vice Admiral Lynn Gordon Mason, Way Mason's father, Hmm. uh, registered uh, as a director of an offshore trust using Way Mason's address. Uh, So that I immediately thought, oh, what do I got here? And the story turns out to be that uh, the vice-admiral, retired vice-admiral, um, as public service, became a director of the Canadian Blood Services. The Canadian Blood Services ha- has a self-insurance wing they call CBS Insurance Company, which, like almost every insurance company on earth, is registered in Bermuda. So the vice-admiral is um, mentioned in the, in the Paradise Papers. And, uh, you know, I got a—, a, a quote from the Canadian Blood Services about why they use offshore trusts, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't see it as scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be there are larger issues there about why they need to register in Bermuda, but they're trying to do business. So. Um, I don't know. It
2: sounds like it's, it's like it's important to track this down, to look yeah. at this and then uh, see what's there and then, you're right, ask those questions. What it's this... You know, because basically we're all looking to see if anyone is actually cheating the system. Yeah, and That's I've had no
0: evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the question should be is, well, why do we have this system? Why do we have this system that encourages people to to deposit their money offshore? Uh, they're doing it legally. In some respects, the, the Canadian Revenue Agency encourages them to do it, um, and which just seems problematic. And I think there's... You know, I came away thinking, eh, um, "Why did I do this?" And I think, I think in the end, the, the takeaway was, "Well, we need to do more work on this issue." So, no smoking guns. No, um, you know, I'm not accusing anyone of, uh, of breaking any laws or even necessarily doing anything un- unethical uh, in our in the way that our system is built. Uh, but I, I think it's important that we talk about these issues and there's more work to be done.
2: Oh, yeah. I, we can definitely expect some more uh, document dumps. Yeah, yeah, look into that. Um, uh, also wanted to talk about Abdul Abdi. Um, he is the uh, the young man from Somalia who came to Nova Scotia. As the young town. Right. Um, uh, as a refugee. Yeah, um, was quickly... Uh, uh, Was this what two thousand? The year two thousand was uh, with him and his sister. Were quickly taken into the care of the yeah. There's some sort of family
0: back uh, breakup from, and we don't know what that's about. Nor nor is it any anyone's business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the he and his two sisters were taken into the care of the The care of the state.
2: Um, And uh, meanwhile, he was shuffled around from one home to another. Something like thirty one. 31, um, and then of course, you know, becomes of legal age, he's on his own. Well,
0: not just that, mm-hmm. he, he claims, and his sisters who have no reason to disbelieve them, uh, claim that they were in at least one of these these foster agencies or homes that were beaten if they spoke their native language, uh, had their religion and, and culture taken away from them. Um, and were traumatized all over again, I mean it, she had talked about being in Somalia and seeing people have their heads cut off right in front of her uh, as as did Abdul her brother mm-hmm. and uh, then they get re-traumatized here in Canada uh, beaten in a in a you know in a home situation and no one took care to to provide any sort of counseling or any sort of um, psychological help for them. Um, more well, did they uh, make sure that they got citizenship?
2: Right. So of course le- he leaves the system. Um, he ends up in trouble with the law. He yeah. ends up uh, what was it? A conviction of aggravated assault, I believe. Yeah. Does his time and then is told after, well, we're going to deport you.
0: Well, yeah, he. he uh, I mean, let's not make light of the crime. He he um, he horribly beat someone. Uh, uh, there's a charge of. Um, assaulting police associated with that. But from the news articles I've read, that's, you know, basically he evaded police. I don't see any real attack on a police officer. Um, but, uh, yeah, he he was sentenced to uh, four years in prison for a first offense. So it was a, a, a violent uh, first offense um, and uh, served his time.
2: Well, um, and the question, of course, is should he be, Deported. Should be sent back to Somalia, a country that he left when he was six. He grew up in Canada. Um, All of his experiences, really, that shaped, you know, many of them that shaped him, probably most of them that shaped him and made him who he is today. Yeah, he's he's a
0: product of Canada. He is
2: a product of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So, number of supporters and people who have spoken out uh, who said, "No, this is completely unfair."
0: Our, our colleague Elle Jones mm-hmm. has been really um, pushing this issue. Um, uh, uh, one of many people pushing it, and um, they the the Prime Minister was in Sackville this week. That's right. And she helped organize a, a protest outside the uh, the Sackville High School where the event was, and. Um, it was a town hall meeting that the prime the Trudeau does, and, and um, inside, uh, Abdul's sister asked about Abdul, and the prime minister kind of gave a mealy-mouthed non-response to it.
2: Yeah. Um, it looks like, I mean, the province isn't saying much. They're saying there are privacy issues. We can't talk. But one thing that a spokesperson did say is that they are trying to develop a policy that is related to children um, who aren't, who are in care? That who aren't Canadian citizens? Yeah
0: i i don't I don't see how anyone could say that a child who's under the care of the state should not be given citizenship. You know i just I just don't. And that's a big failure that we've done. Uh, we should say what happened to Abdul. He um he was released, and as he was walking out of prison, Canadian Border Services re-arrested him. Uh, put him in solitary confinement. He'd been in solitary confinement for a few weeks, um, and only today, we're recording on Thursday, his yeah. lawyer uh, issued a statement saying that uh, he's been transferred uh, to another prison and, and is in general population, meaning the lawyer says that uh, public pressure is having its effect. So he's asking people to continue that pressure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's going to be a, this is definitely something to watch. I think there are many questions that still remain unanswered. I mean, how many other um, kids in care are caught in this situation, even if there's one other? What's going to happen to that person? How do you prevent this from happening again? Yeah, well,
0: Elle, last week or, or the, uh, right before Christmas, she published an essay in, in the Halifax uh, Examiner where she mentioned three other Of these children and that's just here in Nova Scotia
2: yeah Um, so we'll make sure we put a link to that uh, to her piece on um, on the examiner radio story when we talk about the podcast Um, so let's take a break when we come back we'll hear from Auditor General Michael Pickup you're listening to examiner radio
0: I'm with Michael Pickup, the Auditor General of Nova Scotia. Hello.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: Very good. Thanks for having me in your office today. No problem. Uh, We played a little bit of tag. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The (laughs) pre-Christmas
0: Pre-Christmas rush. You were all about the news pre-Christmas, and I think that's kind of fallen off a little bit, and that might be good for us. Uh, I was hoping we could talk on what happened before Christmas, but before we get there, um, what does it mean to be an Auditor General? So essentially,
1: uh, you know, I'm running a, an office that looks at auditing the financial aspects uh, of the provincial government, but also uh, in terms of many of the management functions that you might think of. Uh, you know, whether that be, um, you know, something like procurement or something else.
0: My the question, I, I guess, I have is, what's the background that brings oh, you to
1: to be an auditor general? Yeah.
0: Okay. So. Or your background.
1: Obviously. Oh, sure. So for my background. Um, uh, I'm a CPA, a uh-huh. chartered accountant before that, and uh, before coming here, I spent approximately uh, 25 years working for the Auditor General of Canada, right. 10 of them here in Halifax and 15 uh, in, in Ottawa, and then I came back four years ago to be the Auditor General. And
0: uh, how um, were how you appointed? Who appointed you?
1: So, uh, essentially in April, uh, late April, early May of 2014, the Nova Scotia Legislature, um, appointed me uh, by a unanimous uh, vote, so it really it is an appointment. Of the
0: so obviously, the Liberal uh, Party would have signed off on your hire because so the, they were the majority party,
1: w- right? So the way it works is the uh, Premier would have brought my name forward at the time uh, after the selection process went through, and then the entire House would have voted, uh-huh. um, and it was a unanimous. W- would vote. you
0: consider yourself a Liberal? Are you politically involved?
1: Uh, so No, 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 no. I mean, okay. part of the, the this role is being very uh, independent. Yep. And yep. and with that, I bring 25 years of working for well, very stubborn, probably sorry. five auditors general Yeah. Um,
0: uh, we have, Canada. Under different parties. Uh, for, uh, are, right. right.
1: Federally, it was under, under them all, probably. Well, close but, to them all, I guess.
0: <laughs> uh, can they fire you? Um,
1: So the way the act lays out um, how that might work, um, but essentially without going through, you know, line by line and paragraph, um, the way it would work as an officer uh, of the legislature, it would take about a two-thirds vote uh, of the House. And those things are meant for the independence of the
0: position. Sure. So if you did something criminal or whatever, they could remove you, but politically it's unlikely.
1: Right. Uh, right. And I think the idea of that is it protects an order general.
0: Sure. Let's just jump right into the doctor's situation. I don't know if you've read what I've written about this situation. Uh, I read your, your audit report on doctor recruitment, and I came away thinking, no big deal. Um, you did not criticize the government for its policy goals. Um, some of that was carried on from, over from the previous NDP government in terms of the collaborative health centers and so forth um you were looking at kind of specific uh, items within that policy framework and saying hey you could improve this um and it seemed to me that the premier uh had not read your report uh because I don't am am I wrong is it I, I again I came away thinking um uh, you know you were addressing small or relatively small issues like a failure to um, uh, communicate what the goals were and where the government sat in terms of, of uh, uh doctor recruitment uh problems with the websites uh what kind of duplication and effort between the health authority and the De- department of health uh things like that all, and all of your suggestions were agreed to by the departments so is it a big deal
1: so uh, i think to go back to sort of you know the the findings of the audit. I would uh, I would suggest that the you know the conclusions in the audit, the recommendations that we made, um, I hope to be very you know significant in terms of helping um, the organization that we audited, in this case the Health Authority and the Department, um, improve the way that they do things. And I think an indication of that to me would be the acceptance by those organizations mm-hmm. of these recommendations. So if you look at sort of the back and forth in terms of the audit process. You know, we define what we're going to do and, and, and how we're going to do it. We have discussion, we go about it, we make conclusions. Um, these organizations that we audited essentially the government of Nova Scotia here, uh, represented by the health authority and by the department. Uh, you're right, they accepted what we had to say and this will help. Now in terms of sort of where you would put what we looked at, um, I would suggest some of these things are, are very important, um, be they the recommendations or the observations that you know, resulted in the recommendations that we made. So if you take, for example, the wait list mm-hmm. um, and there being no indication of the health status of the people on the wait list um you know and, and for the government to look at that and they indicated that the intention was, you know, I would suggest that that could be a very valuable mm-hmm. uh, improvement to how programs and services are delivered. And I would say that was deliver. your immediate
0: recommendation.
1: Right, that was one of the sort of, you know, key recommendations that were in there because if you look at that that report, we really tried to focus it. There were only, you know, a handful of recommendations, maybe five, you know, that where we really tried to focus on the bigger ticket items and say, okay, the example I just gave you in terms of the wait list. So I, I, would, uh, I would suggest that these types of things are relatively important. Now, where I would agree with what you're saying is we didn't get into... Uh, you know what should the policy be? And the classic example I would give you here is: we looked around at the communication around the collaborative right. uh, approach to primary care. Right? We didn't. We didn't go down the road of saying whether that's good or bad. Now, that, an, that's an outside policy.
0: policymaker, an right. academic, or something might might get into that and say, right. "I've got some problems with how they're doing this," or or with the very notion of it. They they might have a different approach. But that's not what you were doing. So we
1: right, with the first part of that, with the notion of it. So we didn't say, you know, we think the policy should be A or B. We said, okay, you've decided that the policy will be this. This is how you're going to approach primary care deliver delivery. How effectively are you doing that? How efficiently are you doing uh-huh. that? How well is that working? giving that that is how you're going to proceed. So that's sometimes how I explain sort of that difference between creating policy, trying to venture into policy, versus the implementation of chosen policies, which is what we were looking at is how effectively are those policies being implemented.
0: And I'll return to, the, to that particular subject in, in a bit, but um, politically, I know you're not a politician, but um, But politically, it seemed to me that the government, the premier, should have said, thank you very much. These are good suggestions. Our departments uh, like what you have to say and are going to implement them. You've made our policy decisions stronger. Um, But he didn't say that. He kind of came out swinging at you.
1: So I think, you know, when I was asked about this at the time and, you know, be it at public accounts committee or Uh in the press conferences or in the subsequent days after that, um, you know, I think my comments in reflecting back on that would remain the same is that, you know, what's important to me here is, is that is, we look at the recommendations that we we made, we see acceptance and we see the health authority and the department responding to say yeah, you know what, um, your findings make sense to us uh, we're not going to say, okay, yeah, 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 that's great, go away, now leave us alone and we're never going to do any of that. You know, I have a lot of faith that the responses that these organizations gave us demonstrate that they are going to do something. And, and the number one question I always get asked as the Auditor General is, what happens after you leave? You make all these recommendations, Correct. people agree with them, then what happens you go away and people say, we're never going to do that. Uh, but in fact, that's not what ha- happens. You know, we wait two years after we give recommendations, and then we come back. And, and we say, statement. okay, what no. has happened? And then we report that to the House to say, okay, where do things no. stand?
0: That was a very diplomatic answer. Have you heard from the premier since uh, then?
1: No, I have not. Okay, um,
0: let's let's leave that issue there. Um, on the issue of policy versus implementation, uh, you a while back, as did your predecessor, uh, issued a report about provincial debt. Now it strikes me that that actually is getting into policy issues uh, as opposed to implementation issues. Um, You know, the government passes a budget, has a debt. Um, Why is that your business?
1: That is, I'm so glad you asked that question because I use that one very often um, as a classic example to demonstrate my perspectives on my belief in the Auditor General's role, my role in terms of commenting on policy and, and each Auditor General will set that sort of you know judgment call on their own. Now for me if you go back and look at the work that we did uh, on the debt for example we very much looked at the impacts the debt. For example, if that in fact means that you're spending $780 million a year in interest, the fact is that that is $780 million you can't spend on something else. Whether that is good or bad, we didn't, I did not comment on whether that is good or bad. I did a dollars and cents to say, here are what the numbers show, here are what these numbers mean. And in fact, it, when, when I wrote this chapter in my office here, when we did this work around the debt, what we said is, any one of these numbers also need to be looked at in conjunction with, what did you get for that amount of money? Now, other auditors general, including my predecessor, may have taken a different perspective and may have commented on the public policy merit of having a certain level of debt. Um, if you go back and look at my approach, I never once said, and I was asked as at public accounts, is there good debt, is there bad debt? I've never answered that okay. question. I and mean, there's
0: some, there's a lot of rhetoric on both sides of this issue, which is politicized and I would argue weaponized. I mean, comparisons to Greece and all this crazy stuff, and yet, you know, on, a, on we don't have that large of a debt compared to other provinces on on a per capita basis, even as a percentage of GDP, and the debt service payments are going down. Um, it, it's not you may not like you or I or someone out there in the world may not like the level of debt but it's certainly not the sky is falling
1: and and I think that is why we try to present a whole host of statistics and and also to remind people like if you go back um, to how we wrote this this year we or last year now i guess now that we're into 18 but we said you know all of this has to be looked at in conjunction with what were the what was happening at the time what were you trying to achieve for example if you took on debt obviously to uh, purchase capital assets to build new hospitals do all of this type of stuff any of these numbers by themselves don't tell you the full story they are one aspect of it uh, so what we tried to say, and even on the standard ratios that exist, that most governments in the public sector would use, um, you know, we tried to present a balanced set of numbers to say, here are the ones that show trends this way, but here are the ones that are commonly used that show different things. Um, so what we demonstrated in 2017 when we did this report is just looking at those facts and figures, uh, there are some that are, could be seen as more concerning, there were some that were some positive signs. Uh, and were signs of stability and good signs. But, but as I said at the beginning, um, nowhere will will you find when I write these reports um, to the legislature. Do I say debt bad, debt good? Okay. Uh, it is this is your level of debt. Here are the statistics, and here's what these things mean. Um, now that is for others to judge yeah. if that's how what they want uh, to have.
0: I um very quickly just want to go through a couple of issues. There's. Um, the one that's kind of glaring out there is, uh, from a dollar standpoint, it's not not huge, but the IWK scandal with the former executive director. Are you taking any action on that?
1: So we have a, a performance audit ongoing right now at the IWK. So we're at the early days of that into planning. So we'll be reporting... Um, you know at uh, some point in 2018 probably later in 2018 uh, on what we call again one of these performance artists yep. looking at uh, looking at the issues um, and we will pick sort of and determine what we want to look at so we're not being directed. So you're not
0: into the extreme. meat of that yet? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah,
1: uh, early days. We're in the planning and we're just, you know, moving along. We're engaged okay. with the organization and it's moving along. Uh, but also with the IWK, we'll be the, um, starting eighteen nineteen. we'll be the annual financial statement auditors too. Okay. So we'll be there uh, dealing so, with the organization every
0: year now. So just wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly, okay. wait. Um, at
1: least I can say now it's 2018 and it will, yeah. something there,
0: will be There coming. are some, <laughs> uh, a handful of very large expenditures that are either have already been committed to uh, or uh, maybe tweaked. Um, we're looking at the, related to the IWK uh, the possibility of, of a new hospital, which could be a, a P3 model. The government's been playing with that idea uh, versus doing it in house. Is that an issue you will get into before they make a decision?
1: I think it's, um, and I. And I Thank you so much for bringing up the issue of p- P3s because, again, this go- there's the aspect of it that is policy decision and how a government chooses to go about, you know, creating uh, its policies and going about achieving that. Now, having said that, I hope that when they do those types of things, they will look at previous work that we have done in relation to p 3 So we, we uh, my predecessor before I came here to the office, did some work on some of the P3 arrangements, for example, at the schools. Yeah. So I will hope that they will pick up any lessons learn for whatever policy decisions they make and say, okay, uh, you know, here were some points that were in this audit, yep. this will be useful, let's incorporate this. And and that's, you know, sort of from start to finish. That could be at the uh, beginning end where you're trying to analyze, you know, whether you want to do a P3 or yep. not, there might be some aspects, or then if you decide you're going to do a P3, so, how So will you uh,
0: speak to that before a decision is made?
1: Uh, no, no. So the only thing I would speak to would be to say, uh, as look I would say anyway, yeah, look at the past okay. work, and uh, and then as we go forward, we'll keep it on the radar.
0: Um, it's hard to decide sometimes what the policy is. Um, we, I'm thinking of the Yarmouth ferry. Uh, I'm not sure what the policy direction is there. Is it to provide transportation from Yarmouth to Portland? Uh, is it the revitalize the South Shore economy? You know, it's hard to say exactly what the policy right. is. Um, we're spending a lot of money on it, uh, have already. There's some long-term leases in place uh, with some renewals that could kick in very soon, and it looks like uh, the American government is going to insist that somebody pay uh, for a new uh, customs office down in Portland, and I can't see anyone besides the Nova Scotia government paying for that. Um, Are these issues you should be weighing in on? Um, Again, a
1: great example to demonstrate sort of uh, what you raised so well in terms of the policy issues, right? So if a government decides, for example, our policy is going to be, uh, for reason A, B, and C, we are going to take this approach uh, and you will a number of possibilities in terms of a policy if that's what a government decides that is not for me to get in and question those those policies right uh, now on implementation if a government decides we are going to do a b and c and in doing that we are going to conduct this analysis. We are going to do this. We are going to do this. We are going to do that. And then you get into more the administration of policy when you get and you get into something that's more auditable.
0: So what I'm hearing you say, and tell me if I'm wrong, yeah, is that uh, you could conceivably look at the details of uh, the arrangement with Bay Ferries and the leases and and uh, payments and so forth, but you won't. Step back and look at the broader picture
1: yeah so, so 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 just to sort of to clarify on that if the you know decision is one of priority of a government because you know this serves a po- public policy position uh, this is something they want and you know not all issues of course are going to be for example um money makers right if you have the oh, the absolutely. ferry service on the federal government between yeah, you yeah. know yeah. Uh, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia right nobody is sort of going in there to question the policy of whether that should exist so i think I think just to go back, and it's not bl- these are one of those things that, that I'm glad you raised because it's not black and white, right? Those, that is one of those grayer areas where you say, where is you know the, the public policy aspect that this is just pub- public policy of a government and this is what we're going to do, versus what would you audit there, and where well, well, where would the audit administration
0: be? Much of the political rhetoric around supporting the ferry is we need to support the South Shore economy. Uh, it's an economic development uh, policy Um, and I would say sure let's support the South Shore economy is the ferry the best way to do that I mean if we're gonna end up spending a hundred million dollars shouldn't we be looking at results of that hundred million dollars spent via this particular ferry versus some other economic development program that might be more effectual on the South Shore
1: right and then I think you're opening something up to say okay then we're in there Where in there would it make sense for an auditor to be and would there be an audit place, respecting my view, of course, which has always been um, in terms of drawing a line between the policy and the example I would give you, so I don't want to be avoiding your question in any way, the example I would give you would be on the new school audit that we did. Right, Right. so that, that was a couple of years ago, and we looked at sort of the processes government had put in place to identify um, whether or not to build a school, repair, uh, which ones to do um, from the list. And when we looked at sort of the government processes in place, fully respecting that at the end of the day, government has the ability to make the decisions on where the schools go. Nobody, nobody yeah. was questioning that. Right. Um, but we did sort of draw attention to say, okay, here was how the process was laid out. Here and was well, the result of those processes. And lo and one
0: went into the premier's and, district and one went into the uh, and here education And the tail end
1: of that. Yeah. But... but you know sort of nowhere in there did we ever question I mean that is right. the way our system works and that is following the appropriate authorities so, so right. I, I draw that example only so I don't want you to think that I'm avoiding right. uh, well, your your question well, one, one last question we're going sure. a
0: little over but that's fine um, okay. there's some other big potential provincial uh, expenditures uh, well, definitely the convention center has already happened. Uh, people are now talking about a stadium, which may or may not involve some sort of provincial uh, 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 contribution. Who knows? Um, but what what strikes me on all these kind of conversations is that people uh, trot out um, economic impact claims. I guess we'll have X number of in and. and it, my read on this is that uh, these claims don't hold a lot of water. They're not they're they're flimsy to put it mildly, if not just entirely fictional. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do, which is compare it to other expenditures so that you can make the best choice between expenditures. Am I right there? And is this something that should should be, you should be addressing?
1: So I think you've covered a lot of territory there. Uh, from yes, I think there would be aspects where there could be uh, auditable components. Right to the extreme where I think some of it is just strictly public policy and decisions that, you know, strictly within the government's authority to make. Now, how you cut that up, I will give you, you gave the example of the the convention, the convention center. center. Yeah. Uh, it predates me, but I know I, I did read it when I came in in 2014, right. is that uh, under the my predecessor, the office did a an audit looking at the studies around the feasibility of doing that. And one of the recommendations was uh, the need for additional mur- studies um, to support it because yeah. this was based on this was based on a market analysis expected flows in you know bit bookings and all of this and one of the recommendations that came out of that audit was uh, given that you said the reason to go ahead and do this was a b c and d and this element a ie the projections market projections we think you should get more analysis um, in order to support that, if that is the basis for moving forward, versus if you just ditched all that and said none of it is based on that, we just want a new building. Yeah, it's a policy, right? We, we Wh- just which believe, would be we uh, believe it would be nice to have. Something you would not look at. Then how? Yeah. What would we audit? There would be no role for an auditor, yeah. and it wouldn't be for me to question. That would be within government. It, it struck me
0: that in that instance, and I don't know how much you know about this, but uh, the the folks the at Trade Center Limited who wanted a. Uh, uh, a new convention center and the other people associated with them uh, initially did kind of the right thing they, they got a third-party analysis of what future events could mean in terms of delegate counts and that sort of thing it uh, came back with a number and they didn't like it and they did it they did their own in-house and got a higher number um, that's not how these things are supposed to be done, no. Well,
1: I, I mean, I'm familiar with the audit that we did, even though it predates me, because when I came in here at first, I talked earlier about this follow-up process. We were following up, and one of the recommendations that they never did was uh, to, to get another um, independent market study to look at you know the projections and this type of thing, and they that was one of those recommendations they would not agree to, and they yeah. never did agree to it and never got done, and now the place is built, and there it is.
0: So... The interesting thing, in how this relates to economic impact statements, is you had a third-party analysis. Here's, you know, we think we're going to get X number of conventions, X number of delegates. Hand that to another firm, Gardner-Pinford, in this case. Do an economic impact statement. Tell us how many millions of dollars are going to come into the province. You get X, Y, you know, whatever the number is. Folks at Trade Center didn't like it, did their own in-house. Handed Gardner Benfold another set of figures, and said, "Well, now do it with this one," and got a higher number, and that's the number that was tried out. It seems like base dishonesty.
1: Well, and, and and to go back to your to your point about audits, like for example, if you're into a program, so you have program criteria, you have a program established, and if you purport, for example, to loan money based on a program. Uh, then it's you know fully auditable for an auditor to go in and say okay under this program you said you would in order to loan money give money do whatever you wanted a b c and d if a was a you know a good evaluation a good set of financial statements these types of things those are bread and butter audit type of things that you could go in and audit so when you have these types of things where an expenditure is being made under an established program the program has criteria all of those types of things are auditable It's when you get outside of that and you get into something um, that is outside of that that would say, okay, we're going to do this, and it's more generic or something new, then it may be less auditable in the sense of having these things to go back and check against uh, because what are you left with, right? So
0: So am I hearing you say that you would look at uh, economic impact claims?
1: Well, well, I think that we have. I mean, we've looked yeah. at in the Trade Center, we looked at the projections, which essentially yeah. is like similar to economic impact. Um, when we've done different loan audits um, and economic development audits, we've looked at the analysis supporting. Um, if that was part of the program to say, I'm yeah. going to loan you, you know, X dollars if you do A, B, and C, yeah. um, send me your projections for A, B, and C. Um, And if part of that program says it must be prepared as an example by an independent person, qualified, blah, blah, blah. um, Versus you get something on the back of a napkin that looks like it took 10 minutes to do. All of that is very auditable. So I think it would depend. Uh, on the rollout. and then all of this, of course, and and I go back to your ferry example. I go back to the Blue Nose. I go back to you uh-huh. know on the other, uh, along with that, the new the new hospital facilities are going to be built with you know mega dollars, right? Um, what well, we picked to audit, we can do about ten performance audits a year, essentially. Right, so we've got to look and say, okay, um, where where are the most important things? Not only in dollars, because sometimes if you take the blue nose, I mean, it was 25 well, the, or the $30 IWK million. Uh, executive right,
0: Directors. sometimes The executive director, not saying, a lot of money, but policy issues
1: are... are right, yeah. it, there are bigger issues yeah. there that it, it can be more than money. And I would argue that in most audits that I've ever been done involved in the last 28 plus years, there are points that come out of those audits that can easily be taken over to other areas. So if you take the Blue Nose for example, the, th- the four main points that came out of that are completely transferable right. to new hospitals, they're completely transferable to schools because they are things like are you managing risk, are you doing good contract management, they're, they're, they're all transferable points. right? So we can't be everywhere But when we are somewhere, I like to try and make it that I hope, you know, government will learn from that and and not have the same thing happen when something bad happens in another area.
0: Let's leave it on this thought. Uh, You say that. Uh, I've been reporting in in Nova Scotia for, I don't know, 14 years. Um, And I'm familiar with the history going back farther than that. Um, It doesn't strike me that these lessons are learned or applied. Um, we, we make the same kind of mistakes over and over and over again.
1: Well, I want to leave you with another, with another thought. I mean, uh, you know, clearly, being in the role I have and we're in the Auditor General hat, uh, obviously, you know, typically we do an audit, there are findings, right? There yeah. are suggestions for improvements, but I came here as the Auditor General in 2014. When we did the follow-up, um, which happened just before I got here in 2014, The government was running around 50% on implementing our recommendations within two years. So roughly half. It was, in fact, a little less than that. Um, In 2017, when we followed up and we made this an annual exercise where we report separately, um, those numbers were up to over 72%. So they've gone in the, you know, in 2014 when I got here, they were hovering around 50%. Now they're up to about 72%. Um, which is really, you know, quite a remarkable increase um, over the last, you know, four years. So so I do like to remind people that while we find a lot of things, we are finding that, you know, in almost three-quarters of cases, the recommendations that we make are being um, acted upon Um so the government well, has come uh, up. I'll
0: sit patiently and wait for uh, <laughs> <laughs> improvement on the overall situation. Look, uh, you've been uh, more than generous with your time, and I appreciate it. Um, thanks for doing
1: this. Oh, I really want to thank you for your, for your interest. Uh, obviously, I, I live this and breathe this uh, you know, every day, so I always enjoy talking. We'll, to we'll talk or, again. Thank you so much.
0: I've been speaking with Michael Pickup, who is the Auditor General of Nova Scotia. You're listening to Examiner Radio, and we'll return right after this. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast produced by the Halifax Examiner. As always, this episode is teched by Mark Pineo. Hey, Mark. Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm quite well, Thanks. I've been yeah. sitting in here the whole time, the last month. No, it's not true. No, it's not true. <laughs> Look on your face, just, though. Just
2: waiting for us to come back, <laughs> we, right? We, we should bring you in the studio uh, in
0: future episodes. we got to introduce people to, you to people, or mm-hmm. people to you. Um, Anyway, I'm Tim Bousquet.
2: And I'm Tara Tire. As always, we'd love to know what you think. So send an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. Also, remember that Examiner Radio airs on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax every Friday at 4.30 PM. Or you can listen on their website at www.ckdu.ca. Uh, We have a podcast version, and as you know, because you're probably listening to this as a podcast, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you find podcasts. Uh, And please subscribe so you automatically receive a new episode every week.
0: And please subscribe to the HealthX Examiner. How was that?
2: Uh, I think we did it.
0: Didn't make any jokes.
2: I didn't cough. I think we did okay.
0: Thanks, Mark. (coughs)